How's everybody doing? Good, good. Um, staying cool this weekend. Um, I am glad to uh, see everybody. So I just want you to know that um, Labor Day weekend means very little to me. I usually take Mondays off anyway, and uh, I have to work this morning and this afternoon. So, so here I am. But this is an important weekend to me because college football started yesterday. <laughs> Go Blue. And uh, my team won. And uh, we, uh, we know that professional football starts this week. Um, I think that I work with people who are annoyed by my love of college football, but I work with a bunch of Vikings fanatics. Um, gets a little old. Um, I'm actually a Vikings fan, but um, not like these guys. So um, I decided in honor of the, the start of football to find a couple of football jokes. This one um, I found, I didn't write, but I did think it was, it was interesting. Um, it got groans at the first service, but I think you're more with me here, right? Okay. <laughs> got to listen. At 2 p.m. yesterday, I got a text from my girlfriend that says, it's me or football. At 11 p.m. last night, I texted back, it's you, of course. That's pretty good. What does a Minnesota Vikings fan do when their team wins the Super Bowl? They turn off the PlayStation. Come on, it's pretty well. <clears throat> At one point during a game, the coach called over his nine-year-old football player aside and he said, do you understand what cooperation is? What a team is? The boy nodded in affirmation. Do you understand that what matters is whether we win or lose together as a team? The little boy nodded yes. So the coach continued, I'm sure you know when a penalty is called, you shouldn't argue, curse, or attack the referee. Do you understand that? Again, the little boy nodded. He continued, and when I take you out of the game so another boy gets a chance to play, it's not good sportsmanship to call your coach a worthless idiot, is it? The little boy again nodded. Good, said the coach. Now go over there and explain that to your parents. <laughs> All right. So this summer, we have been in a series in 1 John, a book towards the end of the New Testament. We're going to wrap it up today. Uh, whenever I start or end a book of the Bible, I tend to remind us that the books of the Bible were written for a reason, often addressing some issues in the young church back in the first century. In 1 John, we've learned that there were some false teachers in the church claiming that Jesus wasn't truly the Son of God, that God's divinity could never have taken on human flesh. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Early on in this series, if you were here uh, this summer, you may remember that we talked about this as a core doctrine of our faith, that Jesus is the Son of God or God or divine himself. And you might remember that um, I, I wrote uh, on the board, we're going to have it up on the screen today, uh, that I had shared that, 
that Jesus, our, our Bible teaches us, was 100% divine or 100% God who came here, but he was also 100% human. Now, for us, the math doesn't really kind of work, but for God, it does. And so we, we, we accept by faith that, that Jesus was divine, that he was God's one and only son or God himself, but he was also a human being just like you and me. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that later um, this morning. But what, I, what we've learned lately um, through First John is that this debate had created huge division in the church. Enough that John spends a lot of his time just talking about loving one another and treating each other more properly in community. So I'd like to read a few verses. If you can grab a Bible and turn to First John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, leave your Bible open if you wouldn't mind, and we're going to reread and come back to a couple of verses in this chapter. I'm not going to read all of chapter 5, I'll let you do that on your own. There are a couple of spots that are a little confusing in chapter 5, and I'm not even sure how to explain them, that's why we're not going to talk about them. No, I'm just kidding, but they are a little bit challenging, and um, you can, you know, study the rest of the chapter on your own, but I'm just going to begin here with the first five verses. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves his children, too. We know we love God's children if we love God and keep his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win the battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. All right, um, hold on to your Bible and we'll come back to it. Here's our question for today. Uh, How has or is your understanding of Jesus growing or evolving and how is it changing your life? So I uh, would love to have a few of you answer. I know it's a deep question today. On this, I'm making you work on this Labor Day weekend. Um, how has or is your understanding of Jesus growing um, and changing um, your life in some way? So uh, if you'd like to get the attention, Tim and Bill are going to run mics, get, it, get their attention. Stand up, speak directly in the mic. Brief answers would be great. Here we go. Good morning, I'm Jason, recovering addict, 171 days clean. Good job, Jason. Thank you. Um, how has or is your understanding of Jesus? I would say I always kn- knew about Jesus, but now I, I have a personal relationship. Um, every day I wake up, I, I feel him walking with me in everything I do. I'm a better man now. I'm a better son, better boyfriend, better father, all because he walks with me through my day. And it's just, it feels like I got goosebumps in the middle of my body all day long walking around and I'm just really, really grateful. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. All right, who else would be willing to answer this question? Hello, I'm Galen. Um, I guess my understanding of Jesus is going off of Scripture where it says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone answers, I will come in. And uh, how it's it's changing my life is uh, when I had the realization that I had to invite Jesus into my addiction, that's when my addiction all of a sudden started to become manageable. Thanks, Galen. Appreciate you answering. 
Anybody else? Let's do a couple more. All right, thank you, Misty. Hi, so I'm Misty. Um, how's my aunt? Okay, so when I was younger, I knew he was around and I just would talk to him or whatever. But now that I'm older and I've been here, I feel him around. I don't just know he's around. I feel that warmth around me. Okay. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. Anybody else would love to do one more? One more? All right, we got a couple of hands in the back now, so awesome. I don't know. I think the best thing I like about Jesus when they say, uh, cast all your stuff beside and just walk with me. What that's always told me is I don't have to worry about nothing. Hmm. There's a God out there that loves me. I don't need to worry about it. He'll always provide. Jesus died for my sins, so I don't, I don't need to worry about my past, any of that other stuff, and just try to make that walk and everything. I'll be good. Hmm. That's my best understanding of it. Thanks. Thanks, Eric. Um, very good. All right, Heather. When I was growing up, church was something we did. We had to look the right way. We had to act the right way. It was all huh. norms and everything had to be just right. Now it's more of an acceptance. I, was never, I would never have been able to be as transparent as I am here as in the church. Or here is more transparency than the church I grew up in. Yeah, thank you, Heather, for sharing that. We'll uh, wrap up there. Wanted to thank everybody for um, their answer, and it, we've had quite a bit of diversity throughout the morning um, already. And um, I want to challenge you to do a little thinking about this question. Um, you have some perspective of Jesus, even if you're brand new to this stuff. And uh, some of what you might do be doing in the future here is um, unlearning some of the things you've learned in the past and learning um, who Jesus was as the Bible teaches us about him. Um, I want to read just verses 1 and 2 again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Uh, John is still talking about loving each other. We've spent a few weeks on that. And uh, we know that it's an important thing because he keeps driving it home. It's been part of every chapter that we've gone through. It's almost like he is saying that you have one job as his followers and as the church, like just one purpose, um, love one another. And as I was thinking about that this week, um, I was thinking that maybe sometimes uh, perhaps community built upon a single purpose can be what we need. And it might be how God works. And I was thinking about how that's probably true for um, more than just me in this room. So a lot of you um, know my story, but I don't know if everybody does. I, I uh, about, what, 11 years ago or so, ended up drinking myself out of a job. And uh, I'm an alcoholic, and I was a senior pastor of a large church in South Fargo, and um, I, uh, I left that ministry because of, of my alcoholism, and uh, I was in a very unhealthy place. And I found a recovery community 
and a recovery program that was built around a single purpose, to help people stop drinking. That's why I went to it. That's why I still go to it. And it, uh, at least for today, has accomplished that purpose, right? Um, It was an accepting community and one where I found sobriety and restoration um, and so many things in life. Um, Maybe sometimes having a single purpose can be a good thing. That community that I was part of then helped create a vision that I had for this community some 10 years ago, a place of love and acceptance where you could come in and be transparent and we would give you space to work things out in your life Um, and we would love you unconditionally to the best of our ability just like God does. And John here, and I think he builds it on what he heard Jesus teaching when he was on on this earth. Um, John is just driving home this idea that to be part of community in Jesus' name is to love one another. It's to love one another. It's almost like, you know, that's probably enough for you as my children and as my community, the church. And, you know, if you get this one figured out, come back and then maybe we'll give you a second one. But for now, just work on loving one another. It's a big enough challenge. Be united around this principle, this single purpose, love one another. Now, by the way, I have learned that the anonymous programs and communities many of us associate with here in this church are also not perfect communities. Um, they too have conflicts, I've learned. And they too have issues that go on. Um, why? Because they're made up of human beings, uh, just like our church. Uh, I tell people all the time uh, that I meet and they ask about our, our Lighthouse community, I say, um, you know, Lighthouse is kind of a messy place um, because we have... Um, a lot of messy people turn and ask somebody, who, me? (laughs) Here's um, how we talk about it. Um, We say, I'm a work in progress. Turn and tell somebody I'm a work in progress. Now, here's the deal. Um, I've I've not met a human being who's not a work in progress. Um, but it's kind of a core thing that we remind ourselves of because we have to in this place, that we are a work in progress. We are about progress, not perfection, Um, but we're working on it. That's why we're here, amen? That's why we're here. We also say that there's no perfect people allowed here. I know that there are no perfect people in this world. There might be some who think they are, but there are no perfect people in this world. What we really mean when we say that is that you can take off your mask when you come here. You don't have to pretend that everything is put together and all right. You don't have to pretend uh, because we know that everybody has issues. Turn and tell somebody, I've got issues. (laughs) You know, and it's not just that we are works in progress, um, 
But here's, here's what I really want to kind of drive home uh, for you and for me is um, we're not doing the work ourselves all the time. Um, we have God doing the work in our lives. Um, and we learn that as we're part of this community. Um, and um, praise the Lord, uh, we have each other. We are in this together. Tell somebody we're in this together. You know, I, I, uh, I think that one of the, one of the most profound lessons um, that, that my recovery has brought me is, is I'd spent my whole life in the church. I had led a big church for nearly 20 years. Um, and I knew about community, but now I know about community. I knew that I couldn't do life on my own. Now I know that I can't do life on my own. You know the difference? We need each other. Um, I came across uh, this story. This, it's an old story this, this week, and um, it just kind of touched me, so I thought I would share it. Uh, someone once met a lad going to school long before the days when transport was provided. The young lad was carrying on his back a smaller boy who was clearly lame and unable to walk. The stranger said to the young lad, do you carry him to school every day? Yes, said the boy. That's a heavy burden for you to carry, said the stranger. He's not a burden, said the boy. He's my brother. If you love God, you love his children too. That's what John says. They just go hand in hand. If you love God, you love his children too because we are brothers and sisters. All right, verse two. So we love God's, uh, we know we love God's children if we love God and keep his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win the battle? against the world. I want you to just kind of pause for a moment in that. Um, who can win the battle against the world? Those verses really, or those words really stood out to me in that verse. Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Have you ever felt like you were in a battle? Might, might feel a little bit like it today. Um, in a battle with addiction or mental health or PTSD or abuse or pain or loneliness or grief or relationship stress, or here's one, my own crazy thinking. Ever think that you're in a battle? Well, here's what, what um, I think John is saying, is that if you're in a battle in this world, um, when you know Jesus, you're not in that battle alone. That's exactly what he says in verse 4. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. Want to acknowledge something? Um, what we believe is important. Um, what we believe in is important. And so when we come here, you know, we talk about the teachings of the Bible, not just because we're playing church, but because what you believe and what you believe in is very important. Our beliefs not only give us direction in life, but they guide our steps. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, says the Psalms. Your beliefs shape your values. 
They change how you live, the decisions you make, how you see life, the people in your life, how you work, how you spend your free time, how you engage in service. Your beliefs even shape your words. So what you and I believe in is important. So focus on those beliefs. That's what we do here. We're trying to learn. Um, have a heart over here. I did not draw the heart today because everybody criticizes my hearts. Uh, but if you've been at Lighthouse for a while, you've seen me draw a heart. And whenever I do, um, I'd like to um, remind us together, um, I need reminders of this all the time, that, um, that the way that, that Jesus works is often different than the way that maybe um, we've kind of perceived him to be working before we came here. Many of us uh, in this room have trouble with religions. Um, and religions are often all about do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do that. And um, if you kind of grew up with that in mind, uh, there was this sense that, that if you want to be acceptable um, to God or in the church, um, that you need to do certain things and not do other certain things. And literally, the idea was that if you, you, know, you start getting the do's and the don'ts right, then it'll change your, your heart, right? And so um, it's kind of an outside-in perspective. If you do the, the things you're told, it'll change your heart on the inside. Um, and what I, what I like to teach all the time here and remind us of, of all the time is the way that Jesus works, what the New Testament teaches is something radically different than that. Um, what it teaches is that God loves you right where you're at, and when he enters your life, he actually begins in the heart. He doesn't kind of work its way in, you know, from all of the do's and the don'ts. He actually begins in your heart and begins to change you on the inside. And as he begins to change your heart, he begins to change your thinking, and he begins to change your actions. So it may be that some of you are already experiencing like, like, you know, I've been, you know, coming to church, I've been engaged in this spiritual thing, I'm getting to know Jesus, or reacquainting myself with Jesus, and I see things differently. I'm acting differently. Maybe my language is starting to change in some ways. And so the way that Jesus really works is he works from the inside out. He works by changing us on the inside and then changing the way that we think and, begin, and then it begins to come out in our actions. So I, I wanted to remind you of that today because these verses, I think, are, are quite profound about the battles that we face and how we don't have to face them alone. So here's what I want you to know. It's going to be up on the screen. When you know whose you are, you then know who you are and your path is going to become clearer in life. I'm going to say that one more time. When you know whose you are, in other words, who you belong to, you begin to understand who you are, who God has made you to be. And as you grow in that, it's going to become a little bit clearer and more easy to kind of follow the path that the Lord has you on. Now, I've already shared with you that core to our faith is, is um, that Jesus was God's son, that he came, God came um, to this earth as a human being. And what I, what I really want to, to talk about for um, the rest of our time together is a, a basic Christian doctrine 
uh, called the Incarnation. We talk about it quite a bit at Christmas time uh, because it's when we remember that God became flesh. He was born into this world. So that's really what Incarnation means, that God became a human being or the divine became, took on flesh and became a person. In fact, that's exactly what John in his gospel says. And, um, and that's really what John is referring to here in chapter 5, as we, as we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he took on human form, that it makes it easier for us to face the battles we have in our life with the world. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting, how does that work? Um, I uh, was reading a commentary on this passage uh, by William Barclay. He's kind of a well-known, often used uh, commentator, um, kind of some older commentaries that are available um, in studying the Bible. And there was a quote in this commentary that just touched me. And um, I wanted to share it with you um, it's, it's like a good chunk of a paragraph, so I've put it up sentence by sentence on the screen. And um, I'm just going to read it and um, you know, let us ponder it for a moment. Um, so this is where we're going to do a little theological work, okay? He says in regards to this, you know, the, the belief in Jesus as the Son of God, the incarnation, he says, if we believe in the incarnation, it means that we believe that in Jesus... God entered the world and took our human life upon himself. Okay? Kind of been talking about that this morning. Then he says, if he did that, it means that he cared enough for men or for you and me to take upon himself the limitations of humanity, which is the act of a love that passes human understanding. He was willing to descend here and take upon himself what it meant, what it means to be a human being. If God did that, he says, it means that he shares all the manifold activities of human life and knows the many and varied trials and temptations and sorrows of this world. In other words, he knows what you go through. That's what he's saying knows everything about what you go through because he's walked in your shoes. And it means that everything that happens to us is fully understood by God and that he is in this business of living along with us. He knows what you're going through. And he's walking through it with you. So profound. Then he says, faith in the incarnation is the conviction that God shares and God cares. So this basic doctrine is everything that, that literally we, we talk so much about here in this church. That is that God knows what you're going through and he loves you right where you're at. He meets you in the midst of all of the stuff going on in your life. And he offers to walk forward with you through whatever is to come. God cares, and God shares in your journey. Now, um, I want to share just um, a couple of things about what a belief in Jesus as the Son of God, um, how it may equip us for the battle that we face in this world. Because um, we know that often, 
oftentimes we find ourselves kind of engaged in battle. So um, I just want to share three things uh, quick with you that I think are implications of what this incarnation teaching means. Number one, um, it means that we don't face the battle alone. Um, you believe in Jesus and as God's one and only son that he took on flesh means that he has joined you in the journey and that you don't face it alone. We have one in us who is greater than the world. He will guide us and help us to stay strong in the face of temptation and the struggles of life. Um, a chapter ago in 1 John, in chapter 4, verse 4, uh, we read these verses, I'm gonna, or these words from verse 4. I'm wondering if you can read them out loud with me. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people, or the battle, I would say. Let's read together. Because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Man, that is profound. The spirit that already lives in you through Jesus Christ is greater than anything that you and I are going to face. In other words, what that means is we don't have to face the struggles or the battles that we face alone. If you are somebody who battles addiction or mental health, chances are you have or you are dealing with some of the shame that can just build up from that and begin to control your life. Shame will say to you that you are a failure, that you are a loser, that you are unlovable, that you are unacceptable, and that you are hopeless. You hear me say all the time, shame, shame does not come from God. Uh, shame comes from the devil, I believe. And um, guilt, that's a different thing. You know, God's put a conscience in our, in our brains. But shame is something different. And those messages are not messages that God speaks to you or that the power in you is trying to speak to you. What God says is that you are a masterpiece created in God's image, that God created you to love and to be loved, that you are accepted just as you are, that you are not the sum of your mistakes or your struggles, that you are not your addiction, you are not your mental health issues, that you are who God says you are, that is, you are a child of God. The power in us, the incarnation means that Jesus has come to give you life and to define who it is that you are. Say it with me. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. Number two, um, belief in Jesus as the Son of God gives me the ability to forgive myself and start fresh every day. Now that's kind of important. Hmm? Um, Jesus came to reach out to us in our mess, to touch us with his grace, and to lift our heads up. I shared a, just a little bit of my story earlier. One of the things that um, I found myself in as I was um, trying to get sober and walk a, a path of recovery um, is, well, first of all, I found out how, how difficult that is. You know, I was, it was explained to me that the program I was working was simple. Um, people neglected to tell me, but it's the hardest thing you'll ever go through or do. Um, and it was. And um, I would find myself still struggling now and then, and I learned a lot about the cycle of shame. Um, some of you might be in the cycle of shame right now. Um, it can be powerful in your life. 
The cycle of shame keeps you sick. Um, you experience shame and you do something that's going to try to take that shame away. And, and then the shame only increases and it just becomes a cycle that we go through. And I've, I've shared before um, here, many of you have heard it, that, that um, I remember kind of being in that cycle and I, I remember going for a walk one day um, talking with, with the Lord and, and it was like the clearest that I'd ever experienced God speaking to me directly. He said, um, Dale, um, I forgave you 2,000 years ago when I died on the cross for you. You have to forgive yourself. Anybody ever experienced the challenge in self-forgiveness? And that day, um, it's, it's changed so many things about me. It's, it's allowed me to understand that I am human and that I make mistakes and that I struggle. Um, and it also has reminded me that God never gives up on me. Can I just say that, that if you are kind of returning to your faith, if maybe you grew up and Jesus was in your heart once but you've walked away, can I tell you that when he gets in here, he doesn't let go. Continues to work. Never gives up on us. Never gives up on you. It's just continuing to work in your life. And what that means is that, is that I have come to realize that I can begin to try to forgive myself. It's not always easy. I know. Uh, it's a process. It's a journey. I can forgive myself, but I can start fresh every day because God's mercies are new every morning. Faith in Jesus means strength in the face of temptation and forgiveness. And, um, excuse me, in the face of temptation and forgiveness when we give in to it. And you will give in to temptation still the rest of your life because uh, you are a human being and so am I. But on this earth, we can go through the struggles with sin and be confident in God's grace and learn from it and move on and move forward in a new way. Um, the word repent literally means to turn away from what you're doing and move in a different direction. All right. Um, the last thing I wanted to share, verse uh, number three actually comes from verse 11, which I haven't read yet. If you still have your Bible open, verse 11 says, and this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is from his Son, the Son of God. Um, belief in Jesus gives me confidence about my eternity. Um, one day, um, I will live with him forever. And the struggles and the battles that I face here on this earth will be no more. You, if you believe in Jesus, you can have confidence about your eternity and know that God's not up in, in heaven waiting to kind of snatch his promises from you because you've screwed up too much but his grace is certain and that he is there ready to walk with you through whatever it is you're going through into eternity where there will be no more battles, no more struggles, no more addiction, no more mental health issues. The things from this life will have been faded away and the new life that we have with the Lord will begin. Um, I love how Jesus, um, or excuse me, how John ends this letter. And I want to finish with these words. I want to challenge us to take them with us. Uh, so if you haven't read the rest of uh, 1 John chapter 5, here's how he ends. Verse 20, 
And we know that the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He's the only true God and he is eternal life. So, dear friends, he says in verse 21, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. Good advice to end a letter, huh? Um, dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. When you know whose you are, you begin to know who you are. And um, here's the deal. You are who God says you are. Uh, I think Galen mentioned it earlier. earlier. You know, Jesus says um, in the book of Revelation, I stand on the door and knock. And uh, if you let me in, I'm going to come in and I'm going to eat with you. Kind of, it's kind of a family image. I'm going to come in and we're going to eat together uh, because that's what family does. Um, God loves you so much. He gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And uh, he's in th- with you in the battle, living with you, and just desires for us to, to, to sup together.